Amen. Amen. Y'all all right? Amen. 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 Um, I'm, I'm glad to dive back in the series. How many of y'all are trekking with us through this series? Y'all trekking with us? Y'all trekking? Y'all trekking? Y'all feel like it's timely? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity for us to dive into the word. I mean, I, I'm glad I don't have to just come up with stuff. I can just get in the scriptures, study it and explain it. You know what I'm saying? So I ain't got to come up with nothing, no tricks, no gimmicks, the scriptures, you know? And so I, I love that. And so I know you do too. And um, t- today we're going to dive into the next section. Um, we're going to start, I think, at verse, we left off, we're gonna, I'm going to start at verse 15. I'm going to backtrack a little bit to kind of recap because I know, I know that we've been, um, we, we've been out for a couple of weeks. And How many of you enjoy the guys that God has placed before us to preach for the last two weeks? Y'all were ministered to, right? Brother Kirk did an excellent job. Brother Tripp, they did an excellent job week before. So I'm excited, man. Those guys' messages online have gotten off the charts hits from people all over the world. Crazy, right? Um, emailing and just blessed by their ministry. So thank the Lord for his grace in raising up guys. Um, we we want to see this, see this happening as a trend. Um, um, we don't want to be pulpit hogs, but we don't want to have like 10,000 people preaching on Sunday either. But we do want to give others an opportunity to grow in their gift um, as the Lord develops them as leaders. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. So we've been in First, uh, first Peter. And you, as you remember, it's a multi-ethnic community of people in Asia Minor who are dealing with suffering. They're dealing with socioeconomic suffering, um, and they're doing with a religious suffering, and they're dealing with governmental suffering. And so we see that Peter, because he's, he, 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 he understands the ideals of suffering and, and what can happen to especially young believers. These were young believers, many of them. Many of them just came to the faith, and some of them had been in the faith for a few minutes. But he wanted to make sure that they didn't get the Christian life twisted while they were going through difficulty. So he didn't want them to hit an off switch spiritually. He wanted them to keep the on switch on. And so he lays out just a few things in five chapters to give them a zoom lens on what they need to focus in on spiritually. And so we dove into the normalcy, talked about how normal it is for Christians to deal with issues. You were, you were appointed, you were, you were anointed. Like if you want to be anointed for something, understand what you're anointed for. You're anointed that God is still going to allow stuff to happen to you even though you're in a relationship with Jesus. That's, a, that's, that's an anointing, huh? People want a financial anointing, they want a house anointing, they want a Lexus anointing. But how about we talk about a suffering anointing? Yeah, that's, that's in the verses actually. We ain't got to play no tricks with it. You know what I'm saying? And so what's beautiful about this is that since we know what's going to happen, this is kind of like a guide. It's kind of like Peter saying, uh, it's almost like you could subtitle the book, A Guide to a Christian Remaining Faithful to God No Matter What. It's a very important philosophy. And so we dove into those first scriptures and dealt with the fact that we're elected as exiles, elected for our lives to be weird. It's normal for your life to be unsettling. It's normal for your life to be frustrating. But what's beautiful is it's not without perspective. And and so we talked about that and walked through that. Then we talk about the living nature of our hope that don't allow now to get your mind off of the futuristic picture of the Maranatha of Jesus bringing to reality the things that you don't get now. In other words, God has, you know, now ladies, you know, follow God's understanding of now ladies. You know, you get a pack of now ladies, now they 25 cents. I remember they were a nickel back in the day. Now later, my favorite was watermelon. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know nothing about that. Y'all know nothing about that. Then we had mystery mix back in the day. <laughs> now ladies, tongue purple, just purple. You know what I'm saying? Now or later, you can have some now. You can have some later. That's the Christian life. You get some now, and you get some later. But really, it's not really some now and some later. It's some now, everything later. And so the, so, so, so the mode of the Christian life is God will sprinkle you with spiritual tips now, and then he'll give you the full package of everything that Jesus' blood purchased later. But you got to get used to those sprinklings coming a dime a dozen. Ah, ah. So full increase isn't necessarily going to happen now your increase is coming it may not be peter says a decrease is normal 
Uh, 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 but, but listen, even though the external decrease is normal, the internal increase is normal. Somebody missed that. See, and that's, and that's the beauty of the Christian life, and it gives the external decreases perspective. And if he gives the external increase, bless God, I'm not going to let the external increase stop my internal increase. So, and when it happens, God will hurl a storm at your life to remind you that the internal increase is more than the external. And so as we trek through, we, we, we walk through the big picture. We've walked through people looking forward to the day that Christ's fullness was going to be experienced by his people and that we're living in prime time. We're in prime time. We're, like this is, eight, this is between 8 and 10 o'clock. This is 8 and 10 o'clock eschatology. 8 and 10 o'clock right now is that we in prime time as Christians. And we're living in the prime time. Prophets looking forward to it. Abraham like, I can't wait to... This is prime time. And so sometimes we're wanting tomorrow, but we're not realizing what God has blessed us with today. And so Peter goes on and he begins talking about girding your minds for action. He gave all that weighty theology and then he walked us through and helped us to work through. Like now that you have good theological information about your eschatology, about the return of Jesus, what it's going to look like for you. Perspective now, who you are in Christ, who you are and what's your purpose. Now let's look at some key things. And he goes into what most called the holiness section of First Peter. And it's interesting that he begins talking about your mind. He talks about how your mind sets his hope on the, the future. But then he also talks about do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Interesting. So do not be conformed means transformation uh, to the former passions points to fixation and Ignorance means renewed information, transformation, fixation, and renewed information. And so he calls us against being conformed, being molded by the world. Because he knows that when we're going through trials, we're moldable during those hard times. And because we're moldable, because God is melting us to make us like Jesus, to purify us and to get the impurities out of our lives, he knows that we're vulnerable during that time because that's when we're most moldable. And so he says, while you're in this molded format, he says, I don't want you to be molded by the wrong person. And so he says, I want you to be molded by me. So don't be conformed. Why? Because it's easy during hardships to take breaks and to try to try to put up your feet and grab a hold of something else to conform you rather than getting in the word of God to transform you. You know, it's an interesting song out, you know, um, your man uh, T.I. and Rihanna got. My life, hey, that thing is catchy. It's banging. I ain't going to lie. It's banging. Um, it's catchy. She kills it, too. But it's interesting. I've really been listening to the words of the song, just really kind of diving into my life as I was thinking about today's message. And his message in the song is just live your life. Create your own path. He said, down with the thugging. He said some good humanistic things in the song. But I was looking at what he was pointing them to. And he was like, be thankful for what you have. I understand that. But at the end of the song, he was pointing him, them to stuff. Not anyone, anything, or any place. That's eternal. He said, so live your life instead of chasing the paper. Just live your life. Ain't got time for no haters. Just live your life. No telling where it'll take you. Wow. Life will take you somewhere. Just live your life because I'm chasing paper. Now, he just said... I'm just confused right now. Don't chase paper or chase paper. I'm trying to figure that out right there. You know, we Christians, we can never get away with hypocrisy, you know. So, you know, if we do something like, oh, see, Christians. But in the hook, it's just hip. But you listen to that thing, you like, live my life. You in the car and carrying on doing your thing, you like singing that thing, and you don't know, you just spouting hypocrisy. 
<laughs> so Peter safeguards us against it. And that brings us to our passage today. I want to title this, Live His Life. Live His Life. Now the question is, whose life do we live? That's, that's the question. Whose life you going to live, fam? I may not finish this day. I'll probably just get through one verse, maybe. But, 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 I'm, 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 I'm bugging off of Peter because he begins to focus God's people on God. And he begins to talk about during your time of suffering, what you zoom in on. And he zooms them not in on what they're going to get, what things are going to be like one day. He gets past eschatology and points them to God. I like the way my man says that. And he, he begins talking to them about their motivations in the life that they're living. We talk a lot about the centrality of our motivations and what orbits our motivations. And so Peter spends his time, we, I, hopefully we can get to verse 21, that, 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 that he begins talking to them about godly motivations, talking to them about whose life their life really is. He's basically saying, no matter what goes on in your life, no matter what your life is like, don't get it twisted whose life it is. And so when you look in verse 15, he says, but, stop there. He contrasts. He contrasts being conformed. He contrasts personal passions, personal dreams, personal desires that are devoid of kingdom nutrients, things that are opposite redemption, things that are jacked up, raggedy, stinking, thinking. He goes against that. He, say, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. No matter what you learned before you met Jesus, you were ignorant. Can you accept that? That all of us were stupid? He said, I want you to wipe the hard drive. Here's some new stuff for the new drive. He says, but. As he who is holy called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. First point, be motivated by the holiness of God. Now, he talks about two types of holiness here. And it's interesting. He says, he says, but he says, he says, but as he who has called, he stopped there called. He's talking about those who have been effectually called into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and he begins talking about called has the idea of giving someone an invitation, an invitation to salvation and summonsing them to discipleship. Calling them, he's, he's talking about the father has summoned you. Hey, TJ. Hey, Sai. Hey, Sha. Hey, Reggie. Hey, Jalela. Hey, Yvette. Hey, Reg. Hey, Greg. He summoned you to salvation. And he talks about the fact that you didn't bring yourself to salvation, but the father brought you to salvation. But what's beautiful about what he's talking about here is, it says, I like the way this commentary broke it down for me. It says, God's call in the New Testament most often has to do with him calling people to rally them around something important. In other words, what you rally around now changes. What gets you up and going changes because of the person that called you. And so what's beautiful about this invitation is we rally around the right things. But he zooms it into one specific particular thing in this text that we've been rallied around. Check it out. He says, he says, but as he who called you is holy. Stop there. He talks about the holiness of God. He's rallying us around God's holiness. He's rallying us around one of the perfections, one of the attributes of God. In other words, this is, let me just take a little comma here, colon, semicolon. Whenever the Bible says God is something, it's talking about material of what makes God God. 
In other words, in other words, what makes the Christian God differently is he explains in a human way who he is eternally. And so here he, Peter zooms in beautifully on one of the attributes of God, and he talks about God's holiness. So I want to spend a little time defining this. Is that okay? And talking about the holiness of God as one of the greatest motivations for the Christian life. Now, if you understand as we walk through the holiness of God, you'll understand that the people in the Old Testament didn't see the holiness of God like Peter saw it. Because the holiness of God was scary. It was scary. He said, don't touch the mountain. Because whoever, if I'm, if I'm telling you, even if an insect, while I'm on my holy hill, an insect, fly just flying around, that, that, fly gone out. <laughs> Can't fly no more. If some cattle hit the mountain while God is hovering over top of it in his Shekinah glory, thunderstorm, loud talking. He was so holy on this holy mountain that, 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 that his, his voice was rumbling and no bass, no subwoofer was as bassy as God's voice out of the Shekinah of his holiness on the holy mountain. I know some of us got amps. We got nine amps in our car. God's voice in his holy mountain was so beasty that God's people said, can you, Moses, can you go tell him to stop doing that? They were like, this is, I mean, cats, eardrums, popping blood coming out. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and, and then when Moses went to him, he said, yeah, God, um, you know, um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I, I, you know, can you, I mean, can you just talk to me? Like we talk, I mean, I mean, don't, and, um, and even he kind of like, you know, like, whoa, like, you know, and, 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 and he says, Moses said, I know. The thing in which the people asked you is good. He said, it's good. Because now they got a sense of who I am. They got a sense of me. I'm holy. Holy. Can't just run up on me like you want to. <laughs> See, that's swagger. See, I ain't got no swagger like that. Lil Wheezy ain't got no swagger like that. Would somebody tell you to just talk through somebody else? Because you talking directly to me is too much for me. God, the holy God. So let's talk about holiness. The word for holy in its many forms shows up in 629 verses throughout the Bible. Holy. Holy is the chant. That's the ongoing theme in heaven. Holy. Holy is the, is heaven's hook. Yeah. yeah. Heaven's hook. If you want to get a nice hook on a track, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Yeah. Holy, holy. Yeah. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord. Uh, holy, uh, holy. The angels like this. That's the hook of heaven. It's heaven's hook. You want a hook? That's a booming hook. Go copyright it. <laughs> Give me my money, though. <laughs> up, my bad, my bad. For I get just go to sleep up here. And y'all be like, see, he tripping. God's holiness. So God being holy, listen. It's a word to means to cut or to separate from something. To cut off something that is holy from what is not. To separate. To fall back on, in street terms. I've kind of tried to break that down a little bit. Holiness about God means he is unrivaled in character, worth, cleanliness, and infinitely incorruptible. He is unrivaled. He's unrivaled. That means that nobody can put a real track out on God. Like, like they want to fight they want to like you're not going to do that god has no rivals none he is unrivaled in his character character what he's like 
What do you think? No one's like him in his worth. There is nothing on planet earth that can equal the value of the living God. Nothing. And so, and so what he's rallying us around is he's saying the one who has called us is unrivaled in character. He's unrivaled in his worth and in his cleanliness. God doesn't need to take a bath. God doesn't need Ajax. God doesn't need uh, dial. He doesn't need tide. He's already clean. He's infinitely clean. As a matter of fact, God in his essence does not know what it's like to be dirty and to be cleaned. He's not familiar with that. Personally, he knows what it's like to be eternally squeaky, eternally sparkly, eternally gorgeous. He doesn't know what it's like to get a haircut himself in his essence. He, he doesn't need upgrading. He doesn't need shape-ups. He doesn't need to go to the bathroom. He doesn't need to lift weights. He's all he's ever going to be in his worth. <laughs> Holiness. He who has called you is an unrivaled. God isn't competing with anyone. That's why when we allow someone in our life or something in our life or someplace in our life, to rival God's place in it, we're denouncing him as holy. Because he's unrivaled in who he is. And since he's unrivaled in who he is, he's called us to the lack of rivalry of being with him. So when he says he, who he was called you is holy, to be holy is distinct, separate, in a class by himself. In other words, you have different type of genres of music. You have different type of genres of dress. There is no genre that can explain God's holiness. He's separate. Ain't no separate but equal with him except for in himself. <laughs> and he's still connected to himself. That's why he's three in one. You're going to catch that when you go home. I like the way Sproul put it. Holler at me, Sproul. He says the primary meaning is separate. It comes from an ancient Word that means to cut, to separate. Perhaps even more accurate would be the phrase, a cut above something. I like, I like what Sproul said. I like that. He's a cut above. Now, what's interesting is God is quite a cut above. Like, in other words, it's not like we need a little more something to become as holy as he is. His cut above is like way up above. His transcendence. Let me explain what transcendence is. And, and, and really, his holiness is one of, his, like, like one of those attributes of his that points to how above everything he is. That's the part. Although God is omnipresent and omniscient and sees all things at all times intricately, he sees inside of your life the molecular structure of your heart. He sees everybody's heartbeat, and he doesn't get overwhelmed by hearing everybody's prayer at the same time, answering them at the same time, calling people, talking to people, um, filling people with the Spirit, saving people. He doesn't get overwhelmed. God is like, this is too much for me. Nothing's too much for him. So he's holy. He's never overwhelmed. He's like, nah, ah, that's not who God, what God is like. But it's transcendence. Even in the sense of his, his great inactivity and Jesus holding all things together at the molecular level or below. Colossians 1, God still sits high, like the old preacher says, and looks low. His transcendence is him being above all of his creation. That's why the tabernacle of God will not come among men until heaven and earth are recreated in holiness. Because he can't just come down here in his dwelling presence and we survive. Because if God came down now, all of us would just burst open and just skin would just melt. Because he's holy. I hope y'all are walking with me through this holiness thing. And so what the Bible calls, when the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily God is transcendently separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign. Holiness is a foreign concept to people. So he's saying, Peter is saying, he who has called you is like this. He who has called you like this. God in his essence, his holiness depicts his moral purity. 
So God is above every single thing. So if God has who's called us now, he's saying this. Listen, let's put it in context. He's calling them while they're in the midst of suffering, telling them in the midst of suffering that God is holy. Why? Because many times when we go through a trial, we think we deserve something. We think we deserve to sin. We think we deserve to fall back from God's people. We think we deserve to peek at some porn. We think we do because now, because so much is happening to us that God doesn't care about us. So we're going to find another way of relief rather than God's holiness as a way of relief. Where are you today? I know a lot of y'all going through. What are your outlets right now? Do you have godly outlets or are you just vegging out watching TV? Are you just vegging out? Or are you staring into who God is while you're going through? I know this sounds like a goofy philosophy of life, but that's why I told you the disciples are paradoxical, backwards. So he calls them the holiness, Peter does, in the midst of this time. And, he, and, he, and, he, and he, then he says, he says, you also be holy in your conduct. In other words, he wants them to reflect the holiness of God. He says, be holy in all of your conduct. So now that we understand that God is holy, God causes us to be holy. He'll explain what that looks like in a minute when he talks about Christ. So let's talk about man as holy. When God, listen, in the Old Testament... God would get something ordinary. This is banging. And if he, t if he just says, that's not to be used like that anymore. I got something I want to use it for that's differently than the way it's being currently used. When he says that, it has gone from common to consecrated. <laughs> It's gone from, in other words, people just fondling all on it. Don't touch my stuff no more. What he says about us is he says, you were common. People used to fondle on you, didn't they? People used to use you just like you wanted to be used. He tells these people, even though you're suffering and it seems like you're not in control of your life. God has taken you from common usage and brought you to consecrated usage. And the question is, when you look at how God consecrates, that means set it aside, family, so it can't be used the way everybody else uses it. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're not common anymore. You're not common anymore. He who has called you, called you based on who he is. And he called you to say, you're no longer in the place, so you can't, you can't be like everybody else. Some things have to be cut off, some people have to be cut off, and some places got to be cut off. Because you're now consecrated. Your usage is defined by the one who is holy. So he defines who you are. N nothing you have, nothing, no, not where you're going, no matter how many degrees you got. I got four of them, and I'm not marked by that. What's beautiful about this text is that he calls them, he's, and, and it's not just, what, what's interesting, he says, be holy. He didn't say do holiness. He didn't say do stuff. Do this. Do that. Get up, stand up, sit down, run over here, go over here, do it. He didn't say that. He said be. That reminds me of Genesis chapter 1. He says, whatever God says to be, it must respond to him. Be holy. Then he goes to conduct in all your conduct. So that means every area of your life must be marked by God taking it from commonality to consecration. Everything. Everything in your life, the way you date, is it common or is it consecrated? Your marriage, your marriage, does it look like everybody else's marriage? 
or is something, even an unbeliever that don't know what holiness is, are they able to look at it and say, something's different? The way you do your finances, is it common like everybody else? Or is it consecrated? Your commitment to your schoolwork, is it common? Or is it consecrated? The, the type of people that you kick it with, are they common or are they consecrated? Now, I know we got to be missional, so I'm not telling you. I'm talking about those who you do life with. Those who you let pour into your soul, are they common or consecrated in all of your conduct? How is your mind doing it? In other words, are we fighting in walking in the consecration that Jesus got for us? And we'll talk about that in a second. So it's very, un- we, we must begin to change how we think about each other. I know that we understand the idea of total depravity, that there's nothing that man can do to merit the grace of God. But God has made us holy. So therefore, everything that we do based on who we are, there's a difference. If you're just doing holiness, that's religion. If you are holy, that's relationship. Holiness must flow from a relationship, not just mere religiosity. Anybody can say hallelujah. That sounds real holy, don't it? Sound like it's whole next level. Hey. Sound holy, that's sound. But the question is, is this everything in our life, is it marked by holiness? Those of you who are artists, is your music, is your acting, is your painting, is your drawing, is your tech savviness, is it common or is it consecrated? What's on your wall in your dorm room? Is it common or is it consecrated? Wives, how you talk to your husbands, is it common or is it consecrated? Husbands, how you leave your house, is it common or is it consecrated? Singleness, is, it, is your singleness common just like everybody else or is it consecrated? Ask yourself the question of every area of your life. List it out and begin to say, God, you didn't call me to be common. You didn't call me to be regular. You didn't call me to be just like everything else. But you've called me to show the fact that you're unrivaled in your attributes in every area of your life. Can people look at our lives and say, there's nothing rival to God in your life? There's nothing in your, like, it seems like you're always fighting for Jesus to be center. It seems like you're, you're, you're not satisfied with, and I'm not talking about being different for different sake, being all underground. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, I'm talking about holy otherness. And so, and so, and so we as believers we, we must understand that, not, that, that when, when, we, when we are called to holiness, we must be careful how we use ourselves. man named Uzzah, you know what I'm saying? They were carrying the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. They had the praise and worship band. They boom, 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 got that. Boom, got the boom, boom, got They was all excited. David was dancing and, you know, dancing and carrying on, having a good time. You know, and they had it on a new cart. They had it on a new cart, the Ark of the Covenant. That was just made a common goal and common archaea would. But when God said it was holy, it became different. He gave in Numbers 8 orders on how the ark should be carried. It should be carried by the priests. But they had it on a cart. And so they thought because they had the ark and because they had some music going on that God was cool. And the Bible says that it was on a new cart on a cattle. First Chronicles chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. And it says because the cattle, they probably walking on some crazy terrain, the Ark of the Covenant was sliding off of it. And Uzzah, you know, he's concerned about the Ark of the Covenant. He's very concerned. 
he goes and he reaches out his hand to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And God said, good night. Lights out. The, 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 the fastest knockout in fighting history. <laughs> and what was interesting about that is David got mad. But when he understood his word, they were out of place because they weren't using it based on God's holy instructions. How are you using your life right now? Are your, is your life based on God's holy instructions? Are you meticulous about it or are you like any old life will do? They said any old way of carrying it will do. We can carry the ark the way we want to. Any old life will do. Not the Christian life. That's why he calls God holy. So even when you're going through a trial, you're still not supposed to be irresponsible with your spiritual life. That means that you got to still pray. I know I said this already, but you got to. I like the way they repeat things in the Bible. Remember, remember. So you need to hear it again. Pray. Get on your knees sometimes. Get up earlier sometimes. Pray on your back. Whatever you got to do, talk to Jesus while you're going through your trials. Get in your Bible. Don't stop. You know another thing you can do? You can serve. Because when you serve in the midst of suffering, it communicates something to the people who watch you and know you're suffering. So in your, in your conduct, show yourself as holy because you, are already, you have already been made holy. So he says, in all your conduct, show who you already are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We may end with this next one. Then he goes from there. He says, he says but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. It says, since it is written, you shall be holy for ego I me, I am holy. And he says, and if you call on him, as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in exile, or throughout your time of exile. This is beautiful. So I said, be motivated by the holiness of God, verse one. Uh, the, the, I mean, uh, point one. Now I want you to be, I think Peter is saying, I want you to now be motivated by the judgment seat of Christ. What in the world is a judgment seat of Christ? Glad you asked. He said, if he who calls us judges impartially. Now, what he's saying to believers is he's talking about God's judgment of believers. Now, some of you are like, I thought we don't get judged. Well, there are two judgment places. In chapter 20 of Revelation, verses 11 through 15, that's the great white throne of judgment where, every, where common people get judged. That's common judgment. So God will put their, their spirits back into their bodies because they will be resurrected. But I, like, I don't want to be a part of that resurrection. Oh, my God. And oh, my, oh, my goodness. And G oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't even want to think about it. Anyway, but there's another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And I think um, Romans chapter 14, I believe the, the, the address is verse 11. And it talks about we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that all there is constricted because it's not talking about everybody. It's talking about disciples. People who know Jesus Christ as Savior will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so what will happen is, is the Father, I mean Jesus Christ, because John 5 says all judgment has been handed over to Jesus so since all judgment will be handed over to Jesus, he will have a judgment seat and he will have a great white throne. Now, the judgment seat is a consecrated judgment. Because these are those who will not go to the lake of fire. But these are those who will experience the new heavens and the new earth and will eternally chill with Jesus. But what we'll have to do is we will have to give an account. Now, here... Peter contextually zooms in our account, his account to just our acts of holiness that reflected us being holy. So God, Jesus is going to ask you and I questions. How did we manage the imputed holiness of Jesus Christ? 
In other words, holiness that was given to you. And he's going to judge us based on that. Now, just not going to say, now this is, not, this is not judged based on where you're going to spend eternity. This was not about that. It's about rewards. And I don't know if the Bible makes clear what those rewards will look like. So during this time on earth, we must remember. I know we want to see Jesus come back and we want to see the Maranatha. However, Peter wants us to remember that, that, that the judgment seat of Christ must motivate us, that we're going to have to stand in front of him and that all of our stuff in relation to our life in him is going to be in HD, Blu-ray. I ain't do... Oh. I, I'm telling y'all, every time I think about the judgment seat of Christ, it immediately sobers me up. Sobering. Sobering. To know we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to ask us questions. When I'm ready to sin, when I'm ready to go back to sins Jesus has delivered me from, a quick way to back me up is the judgment seat. Because all of y'all are going to be standing there. Y'all going to be standing there. Jesus is going to be up here. He's going to say, next, Eric Mason. The screens are going to be up just like that. <laughs> and we're going to, like, everybody going to be dreading it because you saw what happened to the person that went before you. But it's not, but, but listen, the beauty of it, this is, this is household cleaning. That's all it is. So you, you don't have to worry in the sense of whether or not you're going to be with Jesus. That's not an issue. That's why losing your salvation doesn't make sense. Because you're going to be judged reward-wise based on it. The blood of Christ has covered those, but we still get rewards based on our usage of the Christian life. And so what, we're, what we need to begin to think through, y'all, is the fact that we are going to stand before the Lord Jesus. The one who Isaiah stood before in Isaiah 6. The train of his robe filled the temple. And he said, ah! What were they yelling during that time, too? Holy. So Jesus is going to come back, standing there. They're going to still be chanting holy. That's going to be the background music to the judgment seat. Holy, holy, holy is the... Um, turn the volume. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Come here, Eric. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Stand right here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Okay, holy, holy, holy. And holiness is going to be the chant. And while they're chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, they're going to show how we haven't been holy, holy, holy in relation to the Lord. I want you to zoom in on this. I want you to zoom in on I want you to feel the pressure of the judgment seat of Christ. I want you to feel it. If you feel a, 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 a boot on your chest and your chin right now, that means you have the Holy Ghost. That's good. Because I, I want all of us, every now and then, you need to sense the Spirit's grief about sin. We need to be willing to look at the judgment seat in every area of life. In other words, as we go forward in life this week, I want you to think about, I might have to give an account for this. Is this something I want it presented before the judgment seat of Christ? or do? And, and this, this, is, this is a good feeling you have. I see it on your face. I'm glad you had that feeling. Because we must be motivated. We're not talking about moralism. But we want to be rightly motivated by the holiness of God, the holiness of Jesus, that standing before him, we would do it one day. And Peter says he judges impartially. That means nobody gets a break. Just because I was a pastor, just because somebody was a deacon, just because somebody was well known, God judges impartially. Just because you're cute. Everybody going to be cute in eternity. If you're ugly now, just wait till eternity. <laughs> You'll be all right. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> I know I was wrong for that. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> How do I know he wants us to respond this way? We're going to end with this. 
I didn't get through all these verses, sorry. But verse 17, he says, if, he, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each, that's good. Even though they're going through community suffering, he still talks about individual judgment. Each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Like that. I like Shah's definition of this. To stand in awe of the reality of God. I like that. He says, conduct, he said, let us conduct ourselves in awe of God's holiness while we're on planet Earth. Let's walk with Jesus by his power, not by human work. We'll talk about his blood and I want to spend some time on the blood next week. I'm going to talk about the blood next week. We're not going to get to it today. But we're going to talk, I want to talk about the blood next week. And Old Testament and New Testament, because people don't talk about the blood anymore except for when they're rebuking somebody with it. Which you don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Blood of Jesus was never used to rebuke anybody. The name of Jesus was used to rebuke. You'll hear about it next week. But he says, while you're in exile, while you're in exile, we're all in exile from planet Earth and, it's, and the world system. We're in exile. We're strangers. There's nobody like you on planet Earth because we have in us the one who no one is like eternally. And so we're to conduct ourselves with awe, every area, with awe. It's, it, that, that's our identity as worshipers. The worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. One of those aspects of that truth that will worship him is standing in awe of him regularly. Regularly. You don't just worship, you are a worshiper. You don't just do holiness, you are, through Jesus, holy. So everything we do, I want you to get this. This is the gospel. I want you to understand the gospel is for everything. We say that here. Everything that God calls you to do comes from what he's placed in you through Christ. So God doesn't ask his people to do anything that they haven't been equipped in Jesus to do. So you shouldn't go out of here sad because the gospel says that when he caused Jesus to take on our sin, we have faith in him. We take on his righteousness. And because we take on, listen, his righteousness, holiness follows it. Everything that Jesus is positionally follows it. So our ability to do the Christian life comes through the one who's the creator of the Christian life. So don't go out of here sad. Because that means you're taking on grief that Christ died for. Expiation! He took away the grief and pain of your sin and imputed you. Imputed you with his righteousness. Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful? That you don't have to sulk in your unholiness as one hopeless. But Jesus Christ, he sent her here. Jesus Christ brings every, oh God, he brings all that Jesus is and places it in our lives and empowers us. He downloaded everything that Jesus is on our souls. All we have to do is trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection to help us to live our conduct in a holy way. He bore your grief. He bore your infirmity. And he carried away your diseases. That's what it says in Matthew 8. And so I pray that as we think this week, as we, as we meditate on who he is, I hope we don't get enough of that. Holiness is a sobriety test. Remember I told you the illustration. When a drug addict is, 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 is OD'd on a drug, they shoot them with a shot to wake them up from their high. I pray that God's holiness would be an injection for us today to wake us out of our drunken stupor of sin. The trial you're going through is no excuse 
to go on vacation. Unpack your bag. Take your toothpaste out. Take out your lotion, your soap, your towels, your shoes. Hang them up. Pitch your tent. Fear your God reverently. Put on your gear. And let's trump the holy hill of God. Let's go into the holy hill of God. Let's bombard it together, together, together. You're not alone. We're a holy community because of Jesus. And I pray that this week, differently than last, unless Jesus comes back, let's stand in awe of his reality in every area of life. Jesus. Jesus. Lord God, we want to stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of men. We stand in awe of human works. But I pray, I pray that your holiness will sober us up. I pray that you being unrivaled in your character would sober us up. Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. I praise you for Christ who has made us holy, not we ourselves. So maybe someone's here today and they've never seen God as unrivaled because he was this unfair dude, or you didn't even believe in him, but the spirit has convicted you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and he's calling you to salvation. Maybe you're here today. You've never trusted Jesus as Savior. We want to talk to you about it. We want you to, we, we want you to repent. God wants you to repent of your sins. Turn away. Turn away. Turn away. Turn away from everything that rivals him and turn to the crucified and resurrected Son of God. Maybe you're here today and you've never stood in awe of the reality of God. Well, that's where we begin at the cross. The cross is where all of us first saw the light. So maybe you're here and you've never trusted him. Slip your hand up in the air. We want to talk to you. If you're here today, we want to explain this gospel to you. And whether you raise your hand or not, we want you to fill out a card. We want to play, repent of your sin and place faith in Christ and Christ alone. Him and him alone, fam. Not him and anything. Him and him alone. Then we want you to fill out a card on the table in the lobby, and we want to get with you. We want to talk to you. And we want to, walk, we want to talk to you about how Jesus Christ, by the Spirit, walks us from spiritual death to spiritual life. We want to explain that to you. Father, we thank you that we get the opportunity to stand in awe of you. Let's say la, let's see la for a moment, disciples. Let's just silently stand in awe of our God.